Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. I'm your host, Jason W., and today we are joined by a special guest. Uh, let me get the title right, because I have to get the, the senior <laughs> right to make sure that it's a, you know it's professional. The senior director <laughs> of youth development for the USL headquarters, Liam O'Connell. Thank you, Liam, for joining me today. Of course, of course. Thanks for inviting me on the show. No problem. And so... You know, for Liam, it's all about the youth. It's all about uh, USL Academy. And, you know, we've seen the USL Academy. We've seen news hit it. We, we understand, you know, a lot of these USL championship teams, League One teams are starting academies. But why don't you give us, you know, for those who don't know, a, a overall background of what USL Academy is? For sure. Uh, easiest way to describe it is any community with which we have a, what we deem a USL senior team, so a team that competes in League Two, League One, or Championship, we want to define what we call a youth-to-pro pathway. So if there's a young player living in that city and they have aspirations of playing for that local senior team, uh, we, want, we want there to be clear programs and processes and people in that community that can help him um, reach that level. And so with the academy, right, are you looking at – you know, when you go into it, you have teams that, you know, let's take Omaha, for instance, right? They come in, they're new to yep. League One, they're looking to start an academy. Are you looking at more of youth teams that are already within the area, or is it starting from scratch and looking for kids who might not have a youth team or looking for kids who, you know, feel that their youth team is not giving them what they feel is the best way to get to that professional path? For sure. So what I would say is USL Academy is designed to be the first pre-professional program for a youth player so it's not like we're being very clear like this is designed for the kid that wants to pursue pro soccer as a career right so um for for new clubs coming in the first thing we tell them is before you stake your flag in the ground and you try to build your own program uh you should first assess the groups that are already there the teams clubs state associations organizations that are already um, making your youth soccer community what it is. And again, like not just assess who's out there, but bring them to the table and say, hey, we're the new pro club in town. We want to help grow the game at every level. We want to work hand in hand with you in doing that. How can we get there? Um, Long term, yes, we want all of them to some all our clubs to someday be operating um, a full time USL Academy program. But it's much more about doing it the right way at the right time. Um, with the right communities. And all of this, you know, with your USL academies, um, you have your USL Academy Cup, which is where you have a tournament to where you have your regional event and then your national event to where you can actually see these kids shine. And it's a good opportunity for other teams to look at these kids, kind of see where their academies, you know, rank up and, you know, potentially, you know, have these kids get an experience they wouldn't have and just for a youth club. So can you kind of talk about the USL Academy Cup? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you hit a couple key points already. So on one hand, we want to we want to bring together the existing academies, the St. Louis's, Sacramento's, um, San Antonio's, Tampa Bay's and North Carolina's that frankly are already extremely competitive programs and just but but give them their own uh, competition where they can uh, really see who see where they stack up against these USL um, academies they may not typically compete against. But on the other hand, it's also just to give the new clubs something that they can offer to their communities, right? So Omaha is the, an amazing example, actually. So 
Omaha, uh, Jay Mims actually, who will be the head coach of their League One team, he knew that this was something that was going to be important to them. And so a lot of people might think it's weird that within a week after they announced their brand publicly, they already had a youth team with home and away kits with that logo competing at the Academy Cup. So the way that actually happened was Jay started that process in the summer. So him and I met about the, the vision of Academy and how they could apply it in Omaha and Nebraska. He then right away got to work and started meeting with the state association, all the local club directors. And like I said, having that dialogue, I said, but then also taking a step further. And, and he and this is something I give him and the, their club and their owners a big credit for. He started a free play re, um, training program. So those clubs that bought into this philosophy and giving their players this opportunity, they could recommend their top players at certain age groups. And he trained them a couple times a month through the summer and fall. Um, he then whittled that pool of 50 kids down to about, uh, 18 that got an invite to go to the Academy cup. Um, and miraculously like that team that competed at Academy cup had, I think 11 different clubs represented and something like 15 different high schools, which is exactly wow. what we want. We want it. We want this to give kids a reason to just come together regardless of youth club affiliations or the exact spot they live in. So um that that was one and, and guess what like surprisingly they not surprisingly they did really well and orange county did the same thing they built an, an all-star team if you will and theirs was interesting they had francis jacobs who was the the 14 year old um on a professional contract he played at this event with kids from all of, over southern california who tried out for this the team for this weekend um and both of those teams they were in separate divisions, but they both were two of the more competitive teams in their divisions, sometimes going toe to toe or beating full time club teams. And so do you and, and, you know, this is me asking just because I'm new to this. When you talk about, you know, getting these club teams or you're talking about, you know, these these local youth teams and you're gathering different players from different teams. Do you feel that some of these youth teams and clubs might have a little pushback towards that? Or do you think for them it's better exposure and it's a more of an incentive to, to get those kids to that level? Unfortunately, the, the first thing you said does happen sometimes. You know, there are still clubs and coaches that hold their players back because they don't want to lose the player or they don't want to um, they want to feel like they're the ones providing the best opportunities for their kids. And um my philosophy is at the end of the day, none of us would have a job in youth soccer and be able to work full time in the game for most of us if we if it wasn't for the kids in those programs. So if everything we do isn't for the greater good of that player, then you should already be questioning what you're doing. Right. So um, unfortunately, it still happens. But like I said, it's been incredibly um, uh, I've been, it's been incredibly uh, pleasing just to see how many of these clubs acknowledge like this is a great opportunity omaha again as an example the weekend of academy cup was the weekend of their state cup so an old school youth soccer like that is your big thing is winning state cup and these coaches recognized while it may hurt their individual team's chance at nebraska state cup that was the right opportunity for their best player so so i mean why what's the end game for holding your player back you know, and making them play, you know, youth club as opposed to letting them have this chance? Is it because if you win the state cup, then that youth club will get some, you know, kind of an award money? Or, I mean, why would they want to not give those kids the, that, the chance and exposure to really grow and be a mm-hmm. part of something like this? 
Uh, unfortunately, it's adults <laughs> getting <laughs> too too involved with with what should be a kid's game. You know, it's uh it's sometimes adults that um, I think get on power trips and ego trips running youth clubs, and they start to make decisions about the club based it, on it being a business or based on them having uh, ambitions for it to be the best club in town or the best team in the state. And so inevitably, yeah, like if, if you were if you were my my best goal scorer, Jason, and I didn't have you for the biggest tournament of our year, our calendar year, there's a good chance we're going to score less goals, which means we win less games, which means we don't go as far in the tournament, which next year might hurt my chances of recruiting the next best kid. Or on the other chance, if I do have you and you banged a bunch of goals and we win state cup, we might we might be able to recruit the kid across town at the other club next year and get even better. So while I understand where they're coming from and doing that, I still think at the end of the day, you have like your whole team is never going to get recruited to college or to the pros. At a certain point, we have to look at youth, youth soccer and youth development as what's best for the individual player. You know, do you think that in the future there's anything that USL can do to kind of incentivize them to actually, you know, participate in that? Right. And say like, (laughs) hey, like. If we get this kid to play, you know, in USL Academy Cup and he eventually signs to a USL mm-hmm. team, you know, and he gets a pro contract, that can be something that comes back to you. Like, how do you see that working yep. in the future? Because I know U.S. soccer is uh, a complete mess when it comes to that. Right. I know a lot of teams are hesitant to sell their players at MLS mm-hmm. in Europe because the club team doesn't get any kind of reimbursement for that or any kind of money for that. So, yeah, is there anything that USL can do to help that? Definitely. Um, and it's, it's, it's a big uh, ambition of ours. Like, uh, we actually are, have been throughout the course of the year and we'll continue to be exploring, um, potentially instituting training compensation, um, at a, like in a, in terms of a standardized league approach. So what, what you're talking about, about like the fear of letting a player go to Europe for a free, right? Um, technically FIFA only monitors training compensation and solidarity payments, which is paying for the club that a kid was trained at when it's international movement. So that doesn't exist yet within the US. However, um, at Sporting KC where I worked previously and built the, help, helped build the, uh, the affiliate program we have, it's not public knowledge necessarily, but there is training comp, uh, essentially like a solidarity payment baked into those deals. So when a kid does sign a deal um, to go from an affiliate to Sporting KC, the senior team, there is actually a cash reward given to that club that developed him. And again, I, I don't want to name necessarily specifics, but there are already a few USL clubs that behind the scenes have set up those relationships already um, with their local youth affiliates. And it's something that personally, I think if the business side of the club feels that it's something they're willing to commit to, um, we encourage it. Yeah. Is that is that something that you feel when you are you know, when these teams are coming to fruition that you're going, is that something that you think the USL, the headquarters would actually push and say like, Hey, off of best practices, we really think that forming good relationships with the local clubs is, uh, should be a priority. And maybe you guys should be doing this kind of training, you know, reward or anything. If the kid mm-hmm. actually signs to a pro contract. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, like it's, Every new ownership group, prospective ownership group that comes in, new clubs, sometimes even when we have city governments come in um, who are supporting these expansion bids, um, this, it is a very real conversation we're having. Um, and we're um, by no means are we requiring it. We leave it up to them. Um, but I would say, irregardless of the training compensation piece, um, 
working with those local clubs is as close to a requirement as 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 could be right now. And so, you know, we're talking about Omaha, great example of a new club who haven't even announced their first team roster yet yep. and it immediately went into the USL Academy Cup and impressed and, you know, watching mm-hmm. some of those games on, you know, on the live stream, yeah, it was it was key that, you know, part of USL is finding talent in places that talent hasn't had a path to pro or haven't exactly. had a path to strive. So when you are looking at getting new League 2 teams or USL League 1 teams, is this something that where a USL Academy team is going to be not necessarily a requirement right now, but do you foresee it in the future being some kind of requirement? I hope so. <laughs> It'll make my job easier of, uh, of getting a league model off the ground because obviously the more clubs we have, the, the easier it'll be to regionalize a year-round league model um, and, uh, and eventually um, allow these clubs to be operating, um, you know, an academy team they can operate year-round. Um, it's, uh, it is not right now, nor is there a timeline to mandate it. In fact, I think where we come from, it's uh, we'd rather use a carrot than a stick. So we'd rather show the benefits and incentives behind doing this um, instead of forcing it on clubs that maybe just don't believe in it philosophically. You know, and like for Omaha, their ownership group didn't just believe it would be a good first step to get some good community will. They fully funded the experience for those kids, which I think is a whole nother level when we're talking about commitment to um providing a real meaningful opportunity to players irregardless of where they're coming from yeah. so in our, in our hope same thing like a we, we're not going to mandate it and nor are we quite at the point where we can mandate fully funding it but i can say we're very aggressive in saying it's in their best interest too if they can afford it and there's a lot of opportunities i want to circle back you know talking about usl academy cup you know let's talk a little bit more about you know, how that works, because right now it's broken up into regions and then you have the national tournament. And so far mm-hmm. we've had the Western region. Um, do you want to kind of, you know, go back and review and talk about what you've seen and sure. just let people know how that works? Yeah. So we have 28 U- U17 teams um, competing at the at that older age group. Um, each of those groups have one regional event. So 14 teams go west in October. 14 will be in the east. All 28 will come together for the national event, where we're also going to have a U13 age group. We'll have about 40 clubs represented at the U13 age, so it's actually we'll have three tiers. And then on the for the 17s at each regional event and the national event, we've got two divisions of play. Um, so the top division at each regional event has eight teams, with the secondary division having six. Um, the big reason for that was just to ensure that we could um, have meaningful competitive games between each group. Um, at the regional events, each team's guaranteed three 90 minute games. Um, there's no standings necessarily or, uh, winner at the regional event, but those results will dictate, um, seating and final brackets for the older age group at the national event. So luckily, um, virtually every game at the Western conference event was very competitive. And I'd say for the most part, the groups were in the right places. Um, there's one or two groups are thinking of shifting based on the Eastern conference, um, results, you know, cause for example, if there was a team that we misplaced and then they don't do well in the elite division and someone is, has too easy of a route in the premier division, we could flip flop them theoretically okay. go into nationals. And so with this, because you have USL Academy teams from everything from championship all the way down to League Two, yep. is if somebody, let's say that you know there's a Academy standout in League Two, and 
you know, 40 minutes away, there is a USL championship academy or there's a League One academy um, that might have more resources or might have, you know, a better path because this person might be 16, 17 years old. They're ready to kind of make that jump yeah. into the college. Is it a possibility to where some of these academies could then switch over the kids? Is it Or is it one of those things to where when they sign with that academy, that's it? They're not going to be allowed to participate in other academies? No, no, no. By no means is it like legally binding or, or any version of a real contract at this point. Um, I know England has like essentially like an amateur academy contract where you are actually like uh, committing for a multi-year period to that organization. That's not something we're going to do right now, especially um, with just the size of the country. Um, and for me, philosophically, if, if at a certain point, let's say a League Two program um, out recruits or, you know, convinces a kid and a family to leave a championship, a league one, or maybe even an MLS Academy to go to their route at the end of the day, like that means they, they sold the family on something. They, they, they sold the family and the player that, that they were going to provide them a, a quicker, clearer path to their dream of playing pro soccer, or maybe that they've shown more proof of concept as a program in helping kids get there. Or another big factor could be playing time. You know, that a kid might be theoretically, bottom third of a U19 MLS Academy, which is effectively the third team in their structure. Well, what if that kid swings over to a USL Academy and is considered a top prospect and is only a step away from going pro? Um, you know, that that's, that's I think, what'll be interesting. And if at a certain point, I, like I said, a, a lower division, lower league program out recruits a higher one, I think, if anything, that makes that higher program kind of look internally and say, what what do we need to do to improve our program so we don't lose the next kid? What has been, you know, like you said, is obviously fairly new. We're just getting away with the Academy Cup. You know, League Two, though, had a tremendous season. It seems like more and more teams are growing by the day. So when we talk about this path to pro, right, like let's take, mm-hmm. for instance, Connor Antley today came out, you know, that signed with Indy. Um, and this is somebody who played for Tormenta's two team two years ago, then was on the first or last year was on the first team this year and now is playing in USL championship with the possibility of going to MLS. Right. Is that what you consider the the perfect path of what you would hope to get out of with the USL Academy? I mean, potentially look like at the end of the day, every player and every coach wants to associate themselves with the highest level of the game. And and I think with USL Academy. Uh, we, I always tell like the directors that we're working with, like your goal is not to pr- just to produce a player that can um, that can contribute for your first team. Your goal is to produce players better than USL because we, we should have aspirations of developing players that are so good that MLS clubs and European clubs say, I need that player. Um, and, and, and our hope is with the way that the transfer market works that over time, um, we can set up regular opportunities and pathways to help for, for move these kids along once they perform at whatever platform it is, League Two, League One, their championship, um, and of course generate revenue on the transfer market because then you never know. In the next instance, um, uh, that might be Tormenta receiving a fee for moving the next Connor and Leon, and then now they can fund a new academy coach. Right. Pay for pay for, for now they might have the funds to cover the co- the full year of their academy program, you know? And it, and it did come out today that, you know, Indy did pay a fee to acquire Connor Antley. And That's so awesome. this is, yeah, this is something that, It's kind know, of a watershed moment. 
Right. And so, you know, with you working there, is this is this what you think is going to start being, you know, is this opening the floodgates? And are we going to see more of this as we go from, you know, climbing up the USL ladder to get to that pro level? Yeah. And I think, honestly, the next step is going to be also monetizing the players moving on to, to Europe and to even bigger destinations like that. You know, like uh, um, uh, the Ethan Bryant example is a great mm-hmm. one. You know, like they they helped move him to Belgium. Um, and at this time he was on an amateur contract. Um, so there isn't uh, a direct cash exchange. But now even just having that relationship. You never know, like, what if that same club or, or one of their parent clubs in Europe sees a lot of value in Leo Torres, the 15-year-old pro for them by the time he's 17? Or here's another one that's going to be interesting is, like, I don't know if you noticed the the moves Orange County made. They signed uh, yep. um, Brian Keo from D.C. and Loudon's system and Diego Lopez from Atlanta United. Both players hadn't been signed to pro deals. They felt that Orange County was going to be a better opportunity for them. And you never know. Um, what if one of those players ends up going abroad in the next few years? Um, I think that's going to open the eyes to other owners to realize, hmm, we can use this platform to showcase these kids and then put them almost in the shop window for the next level, you know? And keeping the money at home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, 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 but wouldn't you want that? You know, so like you think, um, not to take a dig at MLS, but like you look at uh, Alex Mendez, right? So he... Um, originally in Chivas USA Academy, then in LA Galaxy, once that got shuttered. Um, really, really good prospect. For whatever reason, he didn't sign a, a pro deal with LA Galaxy 2 or with LA Galaxy. Um, right about his 18th birthday, he goes and signs a pro deal in Germany in Freiburg, like a month before he goes to the U20 World Cup. And within a month or two of the World Cup concluding, he was already being transferred to Ajax. Yeah. And so if Freiburg can take that kid that was developed in an, in an American Academy and basically just hold on to him for two, three months and flip him for a profit to a bigger club. Why can't USL clubs play that same game? Yeah. And speaking of that international exposure too, I know coming up that there's going to be USL Academy teams involved in the international champions cup. So that's another great way of having this Academy and getting that exposure, right? Because like you said, having that to where you have these international clubs taking a look at these players and gathering interests and forming those relationships. Now you have the opportunity to have people form a relationship with the player who's 14 can watch them over the next couple of years and then say, you know what, let's bring them over to trial kind of what, you know, FC uh, or North Texas is doing right now with a uh, Bayern Munich. Exactly. Exactly. And, and look like just like any business, the transfer market, half of the transfer market and how it works is relationships, you know? And so, and that's even something we're now consulting the senior leadership at our clubs on is look, if that's the game you want to play, go to Europe, go visit clubs, tell them about what you're trying to accomplish, see if they can be partners and almost an extension of your player development pathway. So, you know, maybe Orange County is eventually that they have their youth affiliates, their academy, their senior team, and then they might even have preferred destinations abroad for the best of the best kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and speaking of that International Champions Cup, because I just want to give a shout yeah. out, you know, the U14 boys of North Carolina FC and Tampa Bay Rowdies are going to yep. be playing, and they're playing against, you know, the juggernauts of the world, the Barcelonas, Juventus, Romas. How, how did they get involved? And, in, um, you know, tell me how, how this is going to work. Yeah, so um, it, the ICC, uh, the International Champions Cup, is is uh, a sport property of relevant sports. 
um, relevant sports also oversees Alianza, um, which is a um, player identification platform for uh, for Hispanic and Latin communities in certain areas of the U.S. It's done a tremendous job at finding play, kind of those uh, players that are sometimes in overlooked communities and, and help them get to the pro game. So just through those relationships, um, uh, you know, and, and through um, ICTC now having a youth platform, they knew that they not only wanted to bring in some of the world's best talent, but they also wanted to identify um, some American clubs that could compete. And uh, we in our clubs were incredibly proud to, to already, you know, be considered in, in that conversation. Um, so it's, it's incredibly exciting to see both North Carolina and, and Rowdies get to compete at that level. And um, I'll personally be going to a few games so in a month or two. Maybe we can uh, talk about how they did. Yeah, I, I love that. And, um, you know, again, with the USL Academy opening doors for this path, another path that you guys opened up and you had brought it up a little bit earlier, but I want to get more into it is, you know, a women's player development pathway uh, yeah. for USL Academy. So can you talk more about that? Yeah. So, um, so like I said, when we go back to like our first core strategy about let's just call it USL youth development and eventually getting to Academy, it's first building those healthy relationships with your youth membership, right? The, that's already in the market. North, um, North Carolina FC is a fantastic example again. So NCFC already has, um, uh, literally like a 15,000 person youth club. NCFC youth that feeds them, which is insane. They're literally one of the biggest youth clubs in the country, if not the world, um, under one brand. And so uh, let's be real, though, like over over 50 percent, most likely of that membership is female. And and I think it's incredibly exciting to see um, the continued growth of the female game and the interest that's rising. And more importantly, I think the sustainability that's starting to come to the game when you're seeing European major European clubs start to invest in women's teams and you're seeing um, you're seeing leagues domestically grow more than ever that means more opportunities for women to play American young American women to play pro soccer so just like um, so ultimately like a lot of those youth members were saying hey like we love that our U17 boys team is going to get this experience and this new platform could we ever get to the point of offering that to the girls side um and we always knew that we wanted to. It was just a matter of when. And so um, just like with Academy, and this will just start with at least the cup, if anything, this just allows these girls to, again, like have a shop window that they can step into if their aspiration is to go pro. You know, you see, you see girls like Olivia Moultrie at 13 years old commit to sponsorship deals with Nike because her goal is to play professional and international soccer. No, no fault to, or offense to the college game, but some players, that's that's their dream now, you know? And when, I know you, so it's starting with the cup, right? So when does that uh, take start taking place? So it won't be till the second phase of the Academy Cup. So the first one is this fall going into next spring. The second cup, which we'll be announcing the format probably like early 2020 is when we'll announce it. It'll be fall 2020 and spring 2021. Um, by that announcement, we'll, let you, we'll be announcing like the official qualification mechanisms and and how how many groups will, will ultimately get accepted um it, there's a chance it might just be a, like an elite girls division at that second national event spring 2021 um but we're still kind of having some ongoing discussions internally and with our clubs about how and when we add that component and when when we talk about both the women's and the boys side 
of the USL Academy Cup and having those U-17s, I mean, and I don't know the relations that you have, whether it's with college or whether it's with, you know, League Two team. This should be a prime recruiting event, correct? For sure. For sure. So, um, and even that exceeded our expectations for the first event. I mean, think about it. We were hosting the event in mid-October. Most colleges are still in season, you know? Yeah. Um, I can tell you we had college coaches at the event, youth national team coaches, and even pro coaches. There were two there were two agents from Mexico that came that came to this event already. Um, and and luckily, we were really able to put on a good show and, and the standard of play, um, frankly, exceeded expectations with the level of players and teams that competed at this event. So um, knowing that these two spring events are outside of the college season, we're anticipating them to be big recruiting opportunities um, for players and those 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 college programs. And you know what? probably more so by the day than some um, scouts and agents as well. Yeah. And we talked about, you know, growing uh, in a pathway domestically, especially with women's soccer, you know, as this grows, you start with the Academy cup and when more teams invest and decide to, you know, have a women's Academy as well. Do you see this as kind of that really first, you know, having the potential to have that pathway to get to a NWSL team and really just have that, Hey, like, Instead of going through the college route, if that's what you want to do, or to get to that college route and then get the NWSL, this is probably the best path to go. I mean, that's that's the hope. Like, and it's and it's it's not like we're reinventing the wheel. Like, so when Real Madrid and Juventus and um, Atletico Madrid and Chelsea launch their women's teams abroad, I mean, they're doing they're applying the exact same player development model on the boys' side to the girls. They're adding an, an academy. Or, team or two or multiple they're investing in the same staff and infrastructure and giving those girls the same access um i I understand that we're doing something different in american soccer but it's no different than the models that have already been proven around the world we're just applying it to the u.s so i think at at a certain point the player is always going to decide if 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 the opportunity to play professionally becomes more viable and the path is quicker i think there will be girls who will chase that However, let's be honest, like college and school and education is still a very important part of American culture, generally mm-hmm. speaking. And so I think it will always play a part in this bigger pathway within the country. And the college game isn't going to go away. By right. no means. And, and I think what you guys are doing, like we were talking about earlier, is you're doing a good job at not necessarily disrupting that path, but also kind of intertwining them right to where you have an academy cup to where college recruiters can come and say hey we would have never seen this girl or seen this boy play had it not be for this cup and now we might be able to offer them a scholarship so i think that the two can live together yeah and like uh, real quick like great examples we we hosted this um what we called a pro pathway panel at the academy cup we did a few we did events off uh, besides the games themselves so this panel was for players and parents to educate them about these pathways we're building, right? And the opportunities that come with it. There was actually a boy from the Phoenix Rising team who said, look, I I do have aspirations of playing pro soccer. However, it's important for me and my family to also pursue a college degree. And that's something that's really important to them. And so he asked us, he was like, he was like, can I only go pro if I go directly pro? Like, could I still go to college and then go pro? And honestly, it turned into the perfect plug for League Two. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, we said, we said, look, like, what is League Two's motto? Hashtag path to pro, right? It is does, like it is just as much a, a way for people to still get to the pro game, even if they're a late bloomer 
or they they just decided they they really wanted to value the the college scholarship they were offered, um, or they just never had never were seen or given the opportunity to go direct to pro. So um, I think it's like you said, it's it's important that we still make it a part of our pathway and that we keep it intertwined and we we make sure players understand like yes. It's awesome that we have this straight and narrow path for the, the Gianluca Busios of the world, right? Yeah. But most players won't. Most players are going to zigzag. They're going to step to the side and come back in. They're going to, you know. Yeah. So, but, but we acknowledge I do, that. I got to admit though, you your your social guy had a avenue to revenue hashtag going today, and, and I don't think I think that's fire. <laughs> that might have to replace Path to Pro. All right, that's good. That's good. I admit, but I admit. <laughs> speaking of League Two, though, you know, let's talk about it. This was League Two, obviously. You know, you have PDL, it's rebranded to League Two. So technically, I guess you can call it League Two as their brand's first season. Um, you know, you being with development, how, what have you heard as far as the results? Obviously, with more teams joining every day, it seems that it was successful and you guys are building something special. The different types of teams you're getting that already have academies, like when you're talking about Asheville, who are like, yes, this is what we're doing, but we have the ceiling for us is we definitely want to be in League One. Um, you know, kind of, t- kind of talk about how that season went and you know some things that you liked and some things that you would like to improve on sorry from the league two season yes uh i mean the i mean let's be honest like call it semi-pro or amateur pre-professional soccer whatever you want like some of these clubs they're they're all whether they're in league one or not like they're already treating it like a professional club you know they're they're investing time and resources into being in their communities they're um they, I mean, look, look at the final. Flint City had Bucks, Flint City uh, had uh, 7,000 fans or something like that at their at the final. Crazy. Um, all home fans. That's incredible. And it's showing. Um, it's funny. We talk about it internally. The path to pro isn't just for players. It's for coaches. It's for club executives. And it's for clubs and communities. So sometimes I think we're going to see these League Two clubs almost. It's like a. It's a tryout. So can you not just put a good product on the field, recruit good coaches and players and compete, but can you also put on a professional, um, put on professional entertainment for your community that engages the people in your community and makes them want to be a supporter of what you're doing? Then you know what? Maybe that's a reason for us to look at that club and that community as a, as a, almost a promotion to pro soccer, you know? So I would say collectively it was a huge success and a ton to build on when you look at every side of that from the season. And do you think, obviously, you know, the college thing is a big part, right? Because then you have players that come in and you've had players who have come in and played well, you know, for both League Two and college. Do you think that a lot of colleges are going to encourage more League Two play, especially as it grows and more League Two teams expand throughout the country because it gives them that option to play in the summer and keep them fresh and give them that experience against other players? I hope so. Uh, I'll be frank, though. I'm not entirely sure. I have, okay. you know, because um, there's certain people within the college game who are pushing really, really hard to extend the season. Don't get me wrong. I, th- I think there's good reason to do it. But I could also see them turning that into an excuse to say, um, we really want you to rest these two months because we're extending the preseason and the, and, and, and the season now across the spring. So I think we're our hope is what you said that they, 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 they see this as what it's been as, as something that will help improve their players. Um, but if that changes, I think our clubs are already evolving with the times, you know, like you saw Cedar stars. I don't know if you saw, but yesterday the Cedar stars out of New Jersey, 
they actually just promote, they just got a, one of their youth American youth players to Europe. He's now signed with their partner club in Denmark on a pro yep. contract. Um, this past summer, he played for their League Two team. He's one of the youngest players competing in League Two. Another example is North Carolina. So Adam Armour, who was one of the only one of the only USL Academy representatives at the U17 World Cup, um, he played this summer for his League Two team as well, and was like one of the standout defenders within the league. So I think that's already showing like league two is evolving and becoming that much more integrated with their own youth programs. And I got to ask, uh, do you think that this is part of the reason why we are seeing so many more teams, you know, from NPSL and other leagues kind of jump into league two? Is it more of a, you know, sustainability thing? What do you, what are you thinking? Uh, I don't know enough of the, the, the behind the scenes of NPSL and some of the other, um, similar leagues around that level to, to say if if that's a deterrent from what they're doing. But I can I, I feel incredibly confident that League Two is the best pre-professional um, adult program in the country. There's there's no other league with as much uh, um, proof of concept in terms of numbers of players that consistently move from League Two to the professional ranks. And now adding the fact that there, these clubs are doing an incredible job at at promoting their youth, their standout youth players from their youth seasons to play with the the big boys in the summer. Um, you know, and and look like USL has has grown to what it has, and USL has um, risen to really become the kings of 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 lower division soccer, if you will, over the past few years, especially because of consistent excellence. We, we know how to run quality competitions. We know we have really, really good, dedicated staff that care about growing the game in these communities. And I think I think clubs see that and realize that when they when they have conversations just like you and I are having, you know. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about it with, um, you know, Ronald from Cedar Stars, like for him. Mm-hmm being, you know, scoring and being the youngest and then getting that U.S. national team scouts and, mm-hmm. you know, being, you know, being on this 20 under 20 list. I think that is an incentive for these local players to go, hey, you know, like we can play in a sustainable league, but there's just more opportunity when it comes to league two. Right. There, there's exactly. more eyes. There's there's a there's a clearer path. And it's just in my personal opinion, I think that's why we're starting to see the jump more. Well, man, listen, even like, like I said, coaches and executives, so people who want a career in the sport at their playing, like our winter summit that we host in a few weeks, it has, we invite technical and business rep, front office representatives from all three tiers of USL. So it's a chance for a young executive or a young coach at our League Two clubs to rub shoulders and network with the people they may aspire to be at the pro ranks, maybe even build relationships that lead to them moving to that level. So um, that's what we're really about is that, that upward movement and, and promotion at all levels. And I think the connectivity we've created between all these tiers shows that that pathway is real, you know? There you have it. Liam O'Connell, thank you so much for joining us on League One Fun. Of course, man. Pleasure to, have, pleasure to be here.
And thank you all for listening. Please make sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcast and your streaming. And check us out on bgn.fm for other great soccer podcasts, as well as written content for USL, League One, USL Championship, League Two, NWSL, MLS, and more. And once again, thank you to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, our official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and USL so- US Soccer Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. I am Jason W. You can find me on Twitter at Home Sweet Soccer. And we will be back next week with more interviews. And, you know, maybe we'll do a player check-in since we're finally starting to get some signings. Talk to y'all later.